Welcome to the Kildare Monastic Trail. This guide, produced by Abarta Audio Guides in conjunction with Kildare County Council, with the support of the Heritage Council, tells the story of the rich ecclesiastical heritage of County Kildare and takes you on a tour of eight sites, many of which date back over 1500 years to the earliest origins of Christianity in Ireland. Three of Ireland's foremost saints, Patrick, Bridget and Colum Kill, who are often referred to collectively as the saintly triad, have links with the places you will encounter. And you will also hear the stories of other saints and personalities associated with each site. Tangible elements of these early Christian sites survive to this day. On your trip, you will see several wonderful examples of round towers and high crosses. There are five round towers on the Kildare Monastic Trail. Some of the best preserved high crosses in Ireland are also included on the Monastic Trail. Kildare has particularly strong associations with St. Bridget, Ireland's best-known female saint, who founded her monastery in Kildare in the 6th century. She is the patron saint of the province of Leinster. Her feast day, on February 1st, is still marked in Ireland and is synonymous with the coming of spring. The trail also provides an insight into the development of Kildare's towns. Six of the seven places on our trail were important settlements that grew around ecclesiastical centres. They developed even further when they were granted borough status following the arrival of the Normans. Three of these, Kildare, Clane and Castledermot, are still significant settlements to this day, while the other three, Moon, Old Kilcullen and Uchterard, faded back into the rural landscape and today only reveal hints of their former status. Our tour begins in the southern part of County Kildare, in the historic town of Castledermot. To reach Castledermot, take the M9 motorway and exit at Junction 4. Then take the R448 northeastwards, which will bring you into the town. Despite its relatively small size, Castle Dermot contains a real wealth of history and heritage. It takes its name from St. Dermot, or Dermud, who founded a monastery here in 812 AD. The monastery was known as Dicer Dermida, or Dermot's Hermitage, and it has been suggested it was founded on the site of an earlier hermitage here that dated back to around 600 AD. Dermot was of royal lineage and descended from the kings of East Ulster. He was associated with the Kuldi, or Kaila Day movement, which translates to the Companions of God, which emerged in the 8th century. These were hermetic monks who sought out isolated places to live and worship. Dermot died in 825 and his feast day is celebrated on June 21st. He was described as teacher of religion for all Ireland. Located on the site of what is now St. James's Church of Ireland on Church Lane, the ancient annals record that Vikings raided the monastery at least twice in the century after its foundation, and that it was burned in 1106. Evidence of this early monastic settlement can still be seen at this site. The most prominent feature is the 10th century round tower, 
which is 20 meters high and is constructed of granite. It is unusual as its doorway is just slightly above ground level, unlike other round towers which have doorways elevated well above the ground. The original conical cap was replaced by battlements in the 18th century. It was built to the north of the monastic church rather than the west, as was the norm. Round towers served a number of functions. There were bell towers, there were symbols of prestige, and were used to store valuable items. They may also have been refuges or lookouts. Although there are a handful of examples in Britain, round towers are almost exclusively found in Ireland and are something of a national symbol. The church to which the tower is now attached was built at a much later date, though there are elements of the earlier church preserved in its structure. As you enter the site, the base of one of the three high crosses in this graveyard can be seen on the right. Just beyond this, the Romanesque arched doorway, which formed part of the early church, still stands. Romanesque was a particular architectural style that flourished in Ireland in the 12th century. The doorway, with its ornate carvings, is a fine example of this method. Turn right after you pass through the doorway. The Viking influence on Castle Dermot is indicated by the presence of a hogback stone which lies on the ground to your right. This is a carved grave marker, or House of the Dead, of Scandinavian origin, and this example in Castle Dermot is the only hogback grave in Ireland. Though similar monuments are found in North Yorkshire and Northumbria, where they are generally believed to date to the 10th or the 11th century. The unusual hogback shape is thought to represent the shape of a Viking longhouse. Although there is some decoration on the stone, it is not known whom the hogback commemorates. Close to the hogback is the southern high cross that stands over two meters tall and dates from the 9th century. The carvings depicting various scenes from the Bible is well worth a few minutes study. The base of the western face depicts animals being herded. Some have speculated that this is a hunting scene or perhaps Noah gathering animals for the ark. On the panels of the shaft you can see, in ascending order, Daniel in the lion's den, the temptation of St. Anthony, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and a raven bringing bread to Saints Anthony and Paul. Above this, the western head of the cross shows the crucifixion, with the sacrifice of Isaac to the right and King David playing his lyre to the left. Above the crucifixion, six figures can be seen on two separate panels. One suggestion is that the top panel represents the mocking of Christ by his captors. Moving around to the southern side, the base displays the miracle of the loaves and fishes, while above this, along the shaft, the twelve apostles are represented in pairs. The eastern face of the cross contains no figures but some fine geometric carving on the shaft and the head. Finally, the shaft of the northern side contains carvings of various figures. Although they are difficult to decipher, one theory is that they relate stories associated with King David and his slaying of Goliath. On the base is an image which is thought to represent the betrayal of Christ by Judas. 
Moving along the south side of the church, there is a probable early Christian cross slab with a hole in it. It is known locally as the Swearing Stone, as people traditionally made agreements by shaking hands through the hole. From here, proceed around the back of the church, where you can get a closer view of the round tower. To your right, you can see the Northern High Cross. Like the other crosses, this too is from the late 9th or early 10th century and is carved from granite. Various biblical scenes can again be seen. On the base of the eastern face, there is decorative carving. Above this, on the shaft, are two panels which are taken to represent the Hermetic monks, St. Anthony and St. Paul in the desert. While the head of the cross shows the crucifixion with the twelve apostles on each of the four arms of the cross. The southern side has some fine decorative carving on the shaft with the miracle of the loaves and fishes on the base. Moving to the western face, the head of this cross shows Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden with King David and his lyre to the left and the sacrifice of Isaac to the right. Below this, along the shaft in descending order, Daniel in the lion's den, the temptation of St. Anthony and the three children in the fiery furnace are shown. The base of the west face, along with the north side of the cross, has further decorative carvings. The unusual carving on the base of the north side may be an angel. When you are finished here, you can walk about 300 metres to our next site, the ruins of Castle Dermot's Franciscan Abbey on nearby Abbey Street. To the southwest of the former monastic site are the ruins of the Franciscan Friary on Abbey Street, which marks the next phase in the ecclesiastical development of the town. Castle Dermot came under the influence of the Normans following their invasion in 1169, when it was known as Trissel Dermot. Walter de Riddlesford, who was a close ally of the Norman leader Strongbow, was granted the manor of Castle Dermot and Kilkee following the Norman conquest. His descendants were influential in bringing the Franciscan order to the town in 1247. The Franciscan order was established by St. Francis of Assisi in Italy in the early 13th century. This was a mendicant order, meaning the monks relied on charity and alms to sustain them. Consequently, they sought out locations where they could avail of the support and patronage of wealthy families. They spread rapidly across Europe over the course of the 13th century, and the Irish province was established in 1230. In 1247, money was granted by John Fitzgeoffrey, the Justiciar of Ireland, for the construction of the nave and chancel church. This is the first part of the building you enter, and it is the oldest part of the friary. It was constructed in the Gothic style that was prevalent at the time. It is recorded that in 1302, Thomas, Lord Offaly, with the help of the Delahoyde family, who were local benefactors, played a key role in the further development of the friary. In 1317, the friary was destroyed in a raid by the Scottish armies of Edward Bruce, who had invaded Ireland to open a second front during the wars between England and Scotland. It was rebuilt during the following decade, and the transept, aisle and a tower which are to the north of the nave and chancel, were added by Thomas, 2nd Earl of Kildare. The Gothic arched windows 
are the most impressive feature of this part of the building. A unique cadaver-style tomb with a figure of death carved on top can be seen within the church, the only one of its type in County Kildare. Castle Dermot was a significant walled settlement during this period and was situated on the main route from Dublin to Kilkenny. It was a market town and this explains why the walls were built, as they protected and controlled access to the marketplace. Part of the wall is still visible and accessible on Carlowgate Street. It was also a centre of administration and law enforcement. The earliest known Irish Parliament met in Castle Dermot on June 18, 1264. St. Lawrence O'Toole, who was the well-known Archbishop of Dublin at the time of the Norman invasion, was born at Mullerelan, now a forest park, located a short distance outside Castle Dermot on the Athai Road. He played a key role as a mediator in easing tensions between native Irish Vikings and Normans. Like monasteries right across Britain and Ireland, the Franciscan Friary was dissolved by King Henry VIII in 1541. It was destroyed by Cromwellian forces in the mid-17th century, which terminated its days as a place of worship. When you are ready, please leave Castle Dermot and travel northwards along the R448 for 7 kilometres to the next site on our trail, the village of Moon. Moon Village is situated on the R448 road which was formerly the main route between Dublin and Kilkenny. As you enter the village from the direction of Castle Dermot, turn left in the village centre and follow the signs to visit the main attraction, Moon High Crosses. These are associated with an early Christian monastery. A ruined medieval church now marks the location of this important place of worship. A tower house situated on the private land, south of the church, and which is visible from the graveyard, indicates that this was also an important place in later medieval times. It is said that Christianity was originally brought to Moon by the Roman bishop Palladius, who actually arrived in Ireland before St. Patrick. Later, when Patrick set out to visit the Moon area, the local tribe planned to ambush him as they considered him a heretic. Patrick was warned by a woman called Bree and changed his route to avoid the attack. As he passed, he blessed Bree and her brother Fionnon, and cursed Moon, saying no one born there would ever assume the rank of king or bishop. In the 6th century, the monastery was dedicated to St. Colum Kill. He was also known as Columba, and is associated with numerous sites across Ireland, along with Iona in Scotland. Together with Patrick and Bridget, he is considered one of Ireland's most renowned and well-travelled saints. In the Martyrology of Donegal and the Book of Lismore, the monastic settlement here was called Mween Colum Killa, or the property of Colum Kill. It is from this that the name Moon is derived. The most remarkable artefact visible in Moon is the High Cross. At over five metres tall, it is the second tallest in Ireland. This cross dates from the 8th century and is made from granite. High crosses were built as symbols of ecclesiastical prestige, but were also monastic boundary markers, while their detailed carvings were used for religious instruction. 
The top of the high cross is ringed in typical Irish style. It has a long square shaft and a large rectangular base with a truncated pyramid on top. We can explain the remarkable state of preservation of the cross by the fact that it remained buried for several centuries. It was discovered in 1835 near the southeastern wall of the Abbey Church. In fact, only the base and the top of the cross were uncovered initially, and it was re-erected in 1850 with the support of the Duke of Leinster. The shaft was unearthed later, and the entire structure was reassembled in 1895. In the 1990s, it was placed inside the medieval church to provide protection from the elements. The numerous figures that decorate this high cross are a marvel to study. Decoration consists of panels with scriptural scenes carved in false relief. Looking firstly at the east face, the base shows the twelve apostles and the crucifixion above this. On the east shaft in ascending order, a dog, another animal, a deer, two cows or bulls, and the further animal with its tail raised can be distinguished. The head of the east face displays serpents uncoiling and spiral decorative patterns. The south side of the cross has a fearsome six-headed beast at its base, perhaps the apocalyptic beast from the Book of Revelation. Above this is the temptation of Saint Anthony, the hermit, and then Saints Anthony and Paul breaking bread in the desert. The shaft has a long-eared animal, a lion above this, then a heart-shaped feature. At the top there are various human figures, one of which may be an angel. Moving around to the left, you can appreciate the west face. Daniel in the lion's den is carved on the base with the sacrifice of Isaac above this. The fall of man in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve were tempted by the serpent is shown at the top of the base. On the shaft, there are various depictions of coiled serpents and snakes. The head of the west face is adorned by the figure of the crucified Christ, with an animal carved in high relief above him. Finally, the north side of the cross relates the story of the loaves and fishes on its base. Above this is Joseph leading Mary and the infant Jesus on a donkey during the flight into Egypt, and then the Old Testament tale of the three children in the fiery furnace. On the shaft you can see a griffin and a goose preening itself, while just above this there is what appears to be a tadpole-like figure. The top of the north side shows an angel and three human figures. Apart from the main high cross, Moon contains portions of three other high crosses. Fragments of the head of a whole stone cross have been reassembled within the medieval church. The upper part of the shaft, the lower portion of the head, and one arm of this cross can be viewed. And it is also possible to decipher carvings of some animals, including serpents, on the fragments. There are also interpretive drawings, showing what this unique cross would have looked like in its original state. Within the graveyard, there are two bases of high crosses, one to the south of the church, and the second to the east. Taken as a whole, the presence of these remarkable features point to the significance of Moon as an ecclesiastical centre over many centuries.
When you are ready, make your way back to the village centre and turn left onto the R448. Travel northwards along this road for 16 kilometres to our next site, Old Kilcullen. Old Kilcullen is, as its name implies, the original site of the settlement of Kilcullen, and its name means Church of the Sloping Ground. This hilltop was the location of a monastery founded by St. Patrick around 540 AD. Patrick handed over responsibility for the monastic settlement to a bishop, Mactal, whom he had ordained, and who was also one of Patrick Smith's or craftsmen. Indeed, the name Mactal translates as son of ads, and ads being a tool used by craftsmen of the time. According to the ancient martyrologies of the saints, Mactal died in 549 and his feast day was celebrated on June 11th. It is said that he succumbed to a plague that swept Ireland at the time. The annals of the Four Masters recorded that Old Kilcullen was raided twice by the Vikings in a short period. First in 936 AD, and again just eight years later in 944 AD. It is said that 1,000 people were taken prisoner in the second raid, which indicates that Kilcullen must have been a well-populated settlement by the standards of that time. The Round Tower is the most visible reminder of the history of this ancient place and dates from the 11th century. It would have served as the bell tower for the monastery and a repository for valuable items. Its round-headed Romanesque doorway faces to the north. Although now in ruins and standing 13 metres high, it was still in a good state of preservation until the late 18th century. The graveyard contains the shafts of two ancient high crosses and the base of a third. The cross to the northwest of the round tower, which is the first one you will see as you enter the site, is the best preserved. Like the crosses of Castle Dermot and Moon, the shaft contains illustrative carvings depicting various scenes. The top panel on the northern face is said to show MacTall himself beheading an enemy with an adze. Below him is an image believed to be David with a lion. Moving around to the eastern face, the twelve apostles feature in groups of four on the three panels of the shaft here. The southern face has decorative carvings which are quite worn. On the western face, the top panel depicts a man on horseback blowing a trumpet. Below this is Samson slaying a lion, and below this again is the flight into Egypt. The eastern cross is close to the footprint of a Romanesque church. It has a rectangular base and square shaft, but is too worn to decipher any decorations. The base of a third high cross lies to the south of the round tower. Old Kilcullen prospered following the arrival of the Normans. A large walled settlement with seven gates developed here. A bridge over the Liffey was built to the northeast in the 14th century and over the following centuries, Old Kilcullen was eclipsed by the newer settlement of Kilcullen Bridge, and the latter is now known simply as Kilcullen. Nevertheless, Old Kilcullen was the scene of important events over the centuries. There were several battles here during the Confederate Wars of the 1640s, and the town changed hands numerous times. 
It was during the 1798 rebellion of the United Irishmen that the rebels gained a notable victory here in what was one of the first engagements of the uprising. 300 rebels assembled here on May 24th and used the walls of the graveyard to defend themselves when they were charged by a force of British cavalry. It is said that the round tower suffered extensive damage during this skirmish. A sketch from the 1780s showed that it was in a much better state prior to the battle. The rebels were defeated in a subsequent battle and surrendered just a few days later. Looking northwest from the graveyard, a round hill is visible under a kilometre away. This is Doon Alling, one of Ireland's ancient royal sites. This was a place of large assemblies and is believed to have housed a palace and a fortress with royal roads leading to it from different directions. Archaeological excavations here over 40 years ago revealed evidence of palisade enclosures dating back to the Iron Age. At the centre of the site, archaeologists discovered a circular podium which may have been a ceremonial inauguration place. It is perhaps no coincidence that the monastery at Old Kilcullen was located within sight of this ancient royal seat. When you are ready, please leave Old Kilcullen and follow the R448 into the modern town of Kilcullen. In the town centre, turn left onto the R413 and take this road across the Curra for about 14 kilometres until you reach Kildare town. Kildare is one of the preeminent places of early Christian Ireland and is most associated with Ireland's foremost female saint, Bridget. She founded a church here in the 5th century after which the settlement became known as Kildara, Church of the Oak. Bridget, whose name means Exalted One, is still venerated across Ireland to this day. She is often known as Mary of the Gale, and her feast day, on February 1st, is celebrated by making St. Bridget's crosses from intertwined rushes. Bridget remains something of an enigmatic figure, and many of the stories associated with her are undoubtedly influenced by a pre-Christian goddess, also called Bridget. Indeed, the saint's feast day coincided with the important pre-Christian feast of Imbolog, which marked the start of spring. Saint Bridget also had similar traits of healing and learning as her pagan namesake. As with many of the early Irish saints, the boundaries between history, myth and legend are somewhat blurred. It is said that she was born in Fahart, County Louth, in either 439 or 452 AD. She was daughter of King Dovok and Brixuk, one of the king's slaves. From a young age, Bridget's piety and charity were apparent to all. Her father tried to force her into an arranged marriage when she turned 18, but she resisted and decided to follow her religious vocation. She built her first wooden church under the shade of an oak tree in Kildare. The monastery was home to both nuns and monks, and quickly grew to become one of the most important ecclesiastical centres in Ireland. There are many miracles associated with St. Bridget. One of these relates to the level plain known as the Curra, which lies to the east of Kildare town. It was said that the King of Leinster during Bridget's time had a terrible physical deformity, his ears were shaped like those of a donkey. 
Bridget promised to cure him of his affliction in return for some land. Bridget was true to her word and cured the king, so he promised her as much land as her cloak would cover. But when she laid her cloak on the ground, it miraculously spread in all directions until it covered the entire plain. To this day, the plain of the Curra is also known as St. Bridget's Pasture. The grounds of St. Bridget's Cathedral mark the original site of Bridget's Kildara. The grounds are accessible to the public all year round, and tours can be arranged by contacting the Kildare Town Heritage Centre in Market Square. The current cathedral, which dates from the late 19th century, along with the 12th century round tower, are open to the public from May 1st to September 30th. The cathedral was designed by noted neo-Gothic architect George Edmund Street and actually incorporates some of the fabric of a medieval cathedral which stood here from the 13th to the 17th centuries. A number of interesting architectural features can be seen. They include two memento mori. These are carved stone plaques that serve as reminders of human mortality. One of these is at the entrance to the cathedral, while the second is inside. Also inside is the medieval tomb of Bishop Walter Wellesley, who died in 1539. A Sheila na Gig can be found on his tomb. Sheila na Gigs are ancient carvings and were thought to ward off evil. The ribbed vaulting of the roof, the altar and the pulpit are marvels of 19th century craftsmanship. Moving out into the cathedral grounds, there is evidence of early medieval architecture. The round tower is one of the tallest in Ireland at 33 metres high and dates from the early 12th century. Its conical roof was replaced by a stepped parapet in the early 18th century. The tower was constructed of limestone with a granite base and has an unusual triangular hood of red sandstone over the doorway. While its practical purpose was a bell tower, it was also a testament to the prestige of the monastery in medieval times. To the southeast of the round tower, there is a granite high cross, and its ringed head has suffered the ravages of time. To the north of the cathedral is the footprint of St. Bridget's Firehouse. A flame was kept burning here constantly from St. Bridget's time right up to the Reformation. Several legends are associated with the firehouse. Two Norman archers who belonged to the army of Strongbow met with ill luck when they tried to trespass into the firehouse. One became lame for life when he put one foot inside the firehouse. The other, who tried to blow out St. Bridget's flame, was cursed with an unquenchable thirst and drank so much water his stomach burst, killing him horribly. Another important site associated with the saint is Bridget's Holy Well, located about one mile south of the town, close to the Japanese gardens in the townland of Bralastown. There are signposts to direct you here from the town centre. According to local tradition, this is the place where Bridget kept her cow and churned butter. It is still a place of pilgrimage to this day, especially on Bridget's feast day, and is testament to the esteem in which she is held 
over 1500 years after she died. If you wish to spend more time in Kildare Town, download our audio guide, The Kildare Town Heritage Trail. Available free to download from our website, www.abartaaudioguides.com. From Kildare Town, join the M7 motorway and head northwards towards Nace. Exit the motorway at Junction 9 and follow the signs to bring you onto the R407 through Salins Village and onto our next stop, Clane. Clane has a history stretching back to the early days of Christianity in Ireland. Situated on a fording point on the River Liffey, its strategic location meant that it was at the centre of ecclesiastical activity in North Kildare. In more ancient times, Clane was on the route between Nace, seat of the Kings of Leinster, and Tara, seat of the High Kings of Ireland. The name Clane comes from the Irish Clainoch, meaning sloping ground. The elevated location afforded protection from river flooding. A monastic settlement known as Clun Dove was founded here by St Alba, one of the earliest Irish saints in 520 AD. Alba is most associated with his church at Emly in County Tipperary, but travelled all over Ireland founding churches. Another saint associated with the place was Irnisk, who was linked with Clane in the martyrology of Donegal. He is said to have been one of the seven sons of Angus and came to Ireland from Scotland and was attached to the Dáil Ríada tribe. He and his brothers were granted churches in the Irish Midlands. Curiously, his feast day falls on December 22nd, the same date as St. Tua of nearby Tahado. The monastery at Clane was plundered by the Vikings in 1035, but clearly recovered as it was the site of a major synod in 1162. This synod, attended by 26 bishops and many abbots, confirmed the primacy of Armagh in the Irish diocesan system. A decree was passed stating that all professors of divinity in Ireland had to be graduates of the College of Armagh. This explains why Armagh continues to this day to be the prime sea of Ireland. It is thought that the monastic settlement of Clane was located on the present site of the Abbey Community Centre. The current building itself is of some significance. The tower dates from the 17th century and the main body of the church from the 18th century. It was restored in the 1980s thanks to local community initiative and is a valued local amenity. Clane's development as an ecclesiastical centre continued in the 13th century following the arrival of the Normans. The Fitzgerald family, who became synonymous with Kildare, were granted land and titles in the area. Gerald Fitzmaurice Fitzgerald, the fourth Baron of Offaly, invited the Franciscan Order to establish a monastery in the town in 1257. The ruins of this abbey still stand to this day to the south of the original monastic site. It is said that Gerald himself was buried in the abbey following his death in 1283. A tomb with his effigy was located close to the altar, a position normally reserved for the founders of abbeys, and was still visible up to the 18th century. 
Unfortunately, only some barely recognisable fragments remain today. The Abbey itself was a place of some significance and hosted a general chapter of the Franciscan Order in 1345. It went into decline following the Black Death, but was restored and found a new lease of life in the 1400s. Many of the ruins which are presently visible date from this time. However, like abbeys across England and Ireland, it was suppressed by order of King Henry VIII in 1540 and its lands were confiscated. It was recorded that some of the stone was used in the construction of Maynooth Castle. The ecclesiastical story of Clane would be incomplete without a brief mention of Clongo's Wood College, situated just a mile north of the town on the road to Kilcock. Clongo's was founded by the Jesuit order in 1814 and has been an important place of education since. It was made famous in no small part by James Joyce, who wrote at length about his time here in his semi-autobiographical novel, A Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man. From Clane, take the R403 towards Selbridge, and then turn left at Barberstown Roundabout onto the R406 towards Maynooth. Travel along this road for approximately three kilometres, and then turn left towards our next stop, Tahado. The round tower is visible about one kilometre along this road. The name Tahado translates into Irish as Tig Tua, or Tua's house. This harks back to the earliest history of this place, when Saint Tua founded a monastic settlement here in the 5th century. Tua, who was also known as Ultan, was of royal lineage and was a grandson of Colga, King of Erher, an ancient territory in present-day County Armagh. According to the Martyrology of Donegal, he is said to have placed a stone in his mouth every year during Lent to prevent himself from speaking, and thus earned the nickname Tua the Silent. Tua died in 610 AD at Clonmacnoise, County Offaly, and his feast day was celebrated on December 22nd. The round tower at the site is the sole surviving evidence of the monastic settlement and is thought to date from the 10th century. During the 19th century, when the adjacent church was in use, the base of the round tower was used to store coal to heat the church. A doorway was opened in the foot of the tower to facilitate this, but it was sealed up when the tower was declared a national monument in 1886. The original doorway is over 3.5 metres above ground level. If you look closely, you can distinguish a worn carved head just above the keystone of this round-headed doorway. It appears that the doorway was altered at some stage, as the right jam is made of limestone, while the left is of granite. The tower has four stories in total, each one lit by a square-headed window. The conical cap has long since disappeared from the top of the tower, and today it stands at 20 metres tall. The church on the site is notable for its four distinctive turrets on each corner, but the origins and purpose of this peculiar architectural feature are unclear and are probably purely decorative. It was built in 1831 as a Church of Ireland and received £830 in financial support from the Board of First Fruits, 
an organization established by Queen Anne of England in the 18th century to fund construction of Protestant churches. However, the church was only in use for about 40 years before it was abandoned. From Tahado, make your way back to join the R406 and at the Barberstown roundabout, travel southwards into Straffan. Drive straight through Straffan village and continue south, crossing the River Liffey, the railway line and the Grand Canal. Take the second left after the canal bridge, which is about one kilometre from the bridge. Drive down this road and again take the second left. Turn left again at the next junction to bring you to the hilltop site of Uchterard, our final stop on the Kildare Monastic Trail. The name Uchterard means high place, and from this hilltop graveyard you can enjoy fine views of Kildare County to the west and the Dublin and Wicklow Mountains to the east. The gateway to the site is between two houses and it is just a short walk up the hill to the graveyard. The elevation of the site may be the reason why it was chosen as the location for an early Christian settlement, which was reputedly founded by St. Briga in the 6th century. The identity of this female saint is unclear. Some sources say that she was one and the same as St. Bridget, while others say that she was merely a contemporary of her more illustrious counterpart. Briga's feast day of January 21st is close to Bridget's of February 1st. The annals record that the monastery was burned down by a group of Viking raiders led by Citric Silkenbeard in 995 AD. He was the Viking king of Dublin during this period and frequently led raids into the surrounding countryside. Citric was also an adversary of Brian Baru, but was forced to submit to the Irish High King after a failed revolt in 999 AD. Today the graveyard is enclosed by a stone wall which may mark the extent of the original monastic site. However, ridges and bumps in the field south of the graveyard mark the site of a deserted medieval settlement. Along with the nearby tower house, this indicates that Uchterard was an important settlement in medieval times. Uchterard became a Norman manor and the land here was part of a dowry given by the King of Leinster, Dermot MacMurrah, to Strongbow, leader of the Norman invasion. The main route southwest from Dublin once passed through here. The ruined church in the graveyard dates from the 14th century and probably replaced an earlier monastic church. It retains an impressive barrel vaulted ceiling in the chancel. You can climb up the steps of a small tower attached to the church onto the roof for an even better view. The round tower is one of five in the county and is made from limestone with granite surrounds on the round-headed door and window. It stands at 9.5 metres tall. Uchterard's most notable grave is undoubtedly that of Arthur Guinness, the renowned brewer of the Black Stout which is today enjoyed all over the world. He was born in 1725 to a Protestant family. Arthur's mother was a native of the Uchterard area while his father hailed from nearby Selbridge. In 1752, he was left £100 in the will of his godfather, Arthur Price, who was Archbishop of Cashel. 
He used this bequest to set up his first brewery in Leakslip in 1755. Four years later, he established another brewing enterprise at St. James's Gate in Dublin, famously taking a 9,000-year lease on the four-acre site. From the 1780s onwards, he concentrated exclusively on the production of stout and began exporting to Britain. Following Arthur's death in 1803, his son, also named Arthur, took over the brewing business and it continued to grow and prosper, eventually becoming the greatest brewing dynasty in the world. The Guinness family vault is inside the church on the right-hand side as you enter the nave. Arthur is buried here along with his wife and some of his children. If you wish to divert from the ecclesiastical theme, you can follow Arthur's Way, a Guinness Heritage Trail from Uchtarard towards Leakslip, with an audio guide that brings you to several places associated with Ireland's master brewer. Another famous Irish figure has an association with Uchtarard. Daniel O'Connell, the 19th century Irish nationalist politician known as the Liberator, fought a duel in the adjoining townland of Bishop's Court in February 1815. O'Connell fatally wounded his opponent, John Destair, and wore a black glove for the rest of his life to show his remorse for this uncharacteristic act of violence. We hope you have enjoyed the Kildare Monastic Trail. We would like to thank you for visiting County Kildare, and for listening to our guide as you toured around the sites viewing the wonderful ecclesiastical heritage. This guide was produced by Abarta Audio Guides in conjunction with Kildare County Council and with the support of the Heritage Council. We would like to thank Sharon Green of Castle Dermot Local History Group, Noel Dunn, NRA Archaeologist, Mario Corrigan of Kildare Library Service, and Kildare's Heritage Officer, Bridget Lachlan for all their advice, support and information during the production of this guide.